You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review's Northern Command. It is Wednesday, April 3rd. And let me tell you, like all Wednesdays, that is the thick of things, the middle of the week. That is when I get my brain freeze. I have so much to say that I don't know what to say. I literally have seven Word documents open working on seven different articles and you know ideas running the gambit of many different issues. So much going on. So many issues for which we need leadership on. We need immediate action. So many truth bombs that need to be told on so many issues, policy, politics, and so much direction needed to be given for conservatives. Um, and frankly, there's so much more that I just don't have time to get to. I have like a whole list of ideas and I'm trying to get, you know, other people on staff to to take them up. Um, that's what happens when we become a clickbait movement. You know, there's there's really not a lot of people around to talk about where we're getting killed on the issues. And in that vein, before we get to some of the specific news of the day, I wanted to address a comment I got through an email that I'm assuming some of you get, you know, it's hard to gauge what's a pervasive uh, sentiment and, you know, what needs to be addressed. And I want to try to address uh, concerns. And the concern here wasn't so much of a concern, but just comment maybe was that, you know, am I covering too much for the for the president? I was trying to say yesterday, look, if you if you listen to what he says off the cuff, particularly on the issue of crime and drug traffickers and jailbreak versus what he says in a teleprompter, you could tell what's President Trump and what's President Jared. And basically the point was, you know, he's a he's a grown man. He knows what he's doing. Um, I don't know what he believes in. This is his fault. Look, I'm not trying to defend him at all. Um, no one could accuse me of that. What I'm trying to do is give you a vision of what we need and a diagnosis of the problem really first that surges above the clouds, the storm clouds of the debate among conservatives over Trump, whether he's you think he's God, whether you think he's a darn good president, but maybe not God, whether you think he has some good and some bad, or whether you think he's horrible. Okay, what is going on is much bigger than that. And the reason why I say things like this, that look, you know, he's open to our point of view, you got to get in his face, it's not to defend him. It's practically, he is president. The only primary challenge there will be, if there is one, is from the left, like a guy like Kasich. And... We need a movement to care. It's not what I'm not trying to do is obfuscate the blame that should be directed his way. I mean, that's obvious. I mean, everyone knows. I mean, like he'll say A and B in within two seconds. I mean, there's no defending that, but it is what it is. It's to properly diagnose how malignant this phony conservative movement is. Because I'm making more of an evergreen argument. Trump is going to be gone maximum in six years. But he could be here for six years, for, you know, another two years and then almost two years and then a second term. And what's important to remember about this president is that the same way he's open to totally being owned by the swamp, and that's not like an excuse. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a total... Total liar, then, if that's what you're doing. But he's also open to our views. The problem is we don't assert them. Meaning my point is this. If the, 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 the source of the problem is not Trump, it's just you can't rely on him to be the solution, which is why we need to get active. 
My point is to activate people. My point is I, I don't want it because, again, there, there's a wide, wide variety of people in the audience and people in general among conservatives. Whenever you talk about personalities, you, know, you could have people in the room that will agree on 50 out of 50 issues. But when you start bringing up a figure, each one will have a different opinion about that because you know people are different. That's just that's just how it is. And I'm trying to give more of a universal argument that of course, if if you if you believe he's he's a fraud, then certainly you believe we need to get in his face and criticize the administration and get them on track. But I'm trying to make an argument even if you are of this, you know, belief that he can do no wrong. I was trying to explain you are actually hurting that very belief because but by not trying to push back against Jared because what Jared is doing is antithetical to what he campaigned on. Now again, you might say ultimately the buck stops with him and it's his choice to go along with Jared, but if you really are into the MAGA movement, it's it's counterintuitive. But more broadly speaking, more broadly speaking, let's say Trump were to announce tomorrow that he will not seek another term, you know, give like an LBJ type of speech. Maybe it's health concerns, whatever. He wants to go to Mar-a-Lago and never be seen in the public ever again. So this would be like the Super Bowl for conservative media and everything. It would be a, a massive scramble first to untangle what happened with Trump. And then, I mean, the most important thing in life will be what? Well, who's going to be the next president, leader of the Republican Party, nominee and Republican president if you are rooting for Republicans to win. And there'd be an endless number of governors and senators and whoever else from the Republican side running just like you have from the Democrat side this year. It'd be really exciting. And it would be like, oh my gosh, like the whole world hinges on now not just the general election, but even the primary. Right, Daniel, you can't deny that such a primary would be very important, right? And my point is, you could have the best candidate. Think of your your dream candidate, whoever that would be. Someone that objectively all sides would like better than Trump on the Republican side. I'm here to tell you that if that guy were to get elected and we spend two years or a year and a half getting the guy in the primary and then the general and everything's over that, what happens on the other side of that? Let's be very clear here. The leadership, the Republican leadership in Congress will not change. Mitch McConnell, as you well saw, emphatically said, we are not repealing and replacing Obamacare. <laughs> it was funny. So he started out root and branch. We're going to repeal it root and branch. Then that kind of like, you know, transmogrified into repeal and replace. You know, as if like there's legitimacy to Obamacare. You got to replace. There's like good aspects to it, right? And then it's like, no, we're not going to repeal and replace. They won't do anything on the border. They won't do anything on debt. They won't do anything on healthcare. They won't won't do anything on crime. They won't do anything, certainly on anything that reeks of a cultural social issue, and that includes even even life, even funding Planned Parenthood which, you know, you would think is an easier thing than fighting the homosexual agenda. No, 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 we can't do that, right? So that's kind of where we're all stuck at this juncture. Okay? That much is not going to change at all. Let's move on to the next stage. Okay, so we can't do anything legislatively. What about administratively? Okay, we went through this before. Every district court is God. So at any point, any district judge at any time could countermand anything he does on any issue, no matter the precedent, no matter the standing, no matter um, how many judges Trump Trump appoints elsewhere, but they'll they'll find a court to do it in. And you know what? If they lose... Guess what? You could always go elsewhere because in this phony game, losing or put another way, having a judge say what the president does is okay doesn't affirmatively ratify what he does. Whereas if you get one to say it's not okay, that uh, you know actively strikes it down. 
it's not true. It's all made up the same way judges can't affirm. They can't veto the, 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 the separation of powers. They, they could just issue judgment to a plaintiff in the judicial power. But but that's not the system that almost any legal eagle conservative, any conservative movement person is even making the case for. So they will knock down anything and everything, including simply countermanding what Obama did. So they are keeping Obama's presidency. So that's why it's not just that we're going to do nothing. When Democrats are in power, they win. They, you know, step on the gas pedal. And when we're in power, we just stay put and don't go in reverse. No, it actually continues. But it's worse than that. It's even worse than that. As you well know, inevitably, because we haven't built a movement, the swamp is always there. Even if you have your favorite president, he's going to have swampy people everywhere in the agencies. And because the Republican Congress is bad, because the pressures of the media, because the media defines what's moral and what's legal and what's right, they are too scared to do anything. And moreover, the more Democrat proposals and the media culture becomes the status quo, the more Republicans even begin to implement new bad ideas. Hence, we got jailbreak legislation. Hence, they're working on the Second Step Act. Hence, Jared is working on legal immigration incre- increases, right? We're going to get even worse. It's not unique to this administration other than the it's particular, particularly jarring with Jared <laughs> because that's his son-in-law and he's such a problem. But th- this fundamental problem of conservatives not only not having a vision but even willing to go along with anything a Republican White House does – and the culture does, even while while they're claiming to fight it. Being distracted as anything, trying to get clicks for their websites. Look, everyone's got to eat. Everyone's got to earn a profit. Everyone's got to keep their ties to the White House. And by the way, those are two separate points, two separate problems that are both true. You don't want to burn your ties to the power players. And you feel that you know because the news of the day defined by the media is a certain thing, I have to respond to it. And that's what's going to get me clicks. You know, I just said this on Steve Dace's show today. I said I gave a riveting demonstration of what's going on on the border, and he, Steve was like speechless. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, I could get more clicks saying, "Hey, there's this pretty woman that was just uh, about to be attacked, and she pulled out a gun and and uh, shot the guy." And I'll post a video of it. And look, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. that that's you know totally good, and it shows our point that that that's the better version of what they do where there's nothing malignant about the clickservatism. But, you know, again, it's not it's not going to determine where we are and where we're headed. Now, like I said, it, let me be very clear with some of the clickbait. There's some of it that's just downright, um, just straight up malignant. But there's, there's other parts of it that it is good if you have a critical mass of people doing what I'm doing and having that influence and being able to implement the ideas and then their clickbait is in the culture kind of proving anecdotes around that point and directing it towards that outcome. You know, there is legitimacy to that, but that's not what it is. Like I say, we're, you know, we're an orchestra without a conductor, harmony without a melody, and icing without a cake. That stuff is good. You got to have the bass. So this is a long way of me just saying, I'm trying to build for eternity here. I'm trying to get it through people's thick skulls at every opportunity. What exactly is the truth about immigration? What's the truth about Congress? What's the truth about Mitch McConnell? What's the truth about healthcare? What's the truth about the courts in particular? So that we will have something to go off of in the future. If I'm just like, yeah, you know, Trump's a buffoon. He says one thing one day, then another thing the other day. He's like the the king in, um, you know, the story with Queen Esther in, uh, in, in the book of Esther there just goes back and forth. Yeah, that's true. But the even bigger problem that Trump's presidency reveals is that we literally have no movement. Like I said earlier this week, will, will the last... Uh, um, Traditional conservative, turn out the lights. 
Will the last fiscal conservative turn out the lights? Will the last law and order conservative turn out the lights? I don't know who they are anymore. That's the problem. So sure, there's major problems with this administration, starting first and foremost with Jared Kushner. But that in itself also demonstrates the problem that we don't have a conservative movement. How in the world do you have a freaking guy that's a lifelong Democrat, knows jack squat about anything, but he is the most important person, more than the Secretary of State, more than the National Security Council, more than you know DHS Secretary, more than an Attorney General, more than any other um, seasoned aide in the House. Yet he controls everything. And he's implementing policies all to because he has he said it blatantly. He said it in the Laura Ingram interview because he has a chip on his shoulder because his crook father, who is a, a Democrat fundraiser, crooked as anything, deserved jail time, spent some time in the joint, and he is upset about that. So therefore, let's go and release cartel drug traffickers. Transnational gang members that are often picked up on murder, robbery, and rape. Oh, and by the way, you know what's sick and ironic? Let me just get to this second step act. Ban the box. Where is the conservative saying, Mr. President, you promised law and order. And how is it ironic that we get the exact opposite? We get criminal rights, but we get nothing on being stronger on criminals. How is it that you promised to go forward on reducing legal immigration, but certainly reducing chain migration, the diversity visa lottery, ending the loopholes, not expanding them from Obama's era, and obviously shutting down illegal immigration, And yet, not only haven't we done that, we have a more severe form of illegal immigration, qualitatively and quantitatively, than we've ever had in the history of Border Patrol, as uh, uh, Brandon Judd said. And yet, and yet, before we even solve that, Kushner is building an empire for expanding legal immigration. And if you think that won't happen, just look at the results of jailbreak. He has a clear lane. Again, not obfuscating the blame from Trump. That is, that's worse than read my lips. But at the end of the day, if we had a conservative movement, it would shut it down in two seconds and Trump would listen to them. So in the next administration... It won't be Jared Kushner. It'll be someone else. At the end of the day, and I forget the wording I used, but it's what I wrote in Steve Dace's book. Uh, he had a chapter where he had a couple people um, you know, write in their thoughts on some issues, some questions. And one of the points I made is that I used three of Newton's, uh, Newton's laws of motion to describe what goes on politically. At the end of the day, Something will always move, an item will always move to the forces that have the largest magnetic pull. At the end of the day, it's one direction. There is an empire between the Cokes and Soros for open borders, for jailbreak, for felons voting. I mean, they're literally out there now telling us you don't understand most felons vote Republican. Okay, that's, that's what they're saying. Saw an article on that. It was passed around on an email chain. Just unbelievable. But that's what we have here. So anyway, this is from Orlando.com. Kushner acts as sounding board on legal immigration reform. As Donald Trump strips some Central American countries of aid and denounces the influx of migrants at the southern border, his son-in-law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner, has been acting as a sounding board for internal discussions on reforms to the nation's legal immigration system. Over the course of two months, a number of immigration groups and business groups have gathered at the White House to discuss a range of topics related to legal immigration, including employment-based visas, temporary workers programs, the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, and moving towards a merit-based system. Now, that sounds all nice. Now, they quote, quote Brooke Rollins, 
um, you know, she played a, a a key role. She is that uh, a coke person. Most of the focus was on employment visas. Most people talked about the need for skilled immigrants, although I wouldn't say there was a full consensus in the room that was needed. That's good to know. At least someone was involved in the room. You know, so someone uh, half decent. But, you know, this is where we are. We are at a point where we will not reduce... I, I mean, they, they, see, you, they hide behind skilled immigrants, but then they have a record number of uh, low-skilled workers, the H-2Bs, highest level. They expanded it by 30,000 unilaterally. And, of course, the only action not struck down by the courts because, of course, it's outcomes-based. So you see my point here. Jared is... Getting Trump, I, I mean, I, I hate being right. I hate it. I have the sixth sense about me in politics. But I told you, amidst all my arguments over jailbreak and how harmful it was inherently, I said, you should be bothered by the lack of due process. I don't mean legally. I'm saying it, you know, conversationally. How we could have long-standing conservative views and this hustler who knows nothing could single-handedly overturn 50 years of conservative thought on an issue under a president who was more emphatic on the other side of the issue than anyone else. And I said, that should scare you in and of itself without having a, you know, a broader dialogue over this and the lack of response. I said, there's nothing stopping this same thing from happening any other way. And indeed, if you read the articles, they all say, that Jared and the Koch people in the White House are all using the jailbreak success as a blueprint to push their amnesty open borders agenda. By the way, I'm sorry. I got it from Orlando.com. It looks like they were aggregating a polit- – it's a Politico article. I didn't know Politico gives out um, – you know, I didn't know they were like AP in that respect. So it's the source is Politico. Um that that's that's where they are here. It is very scary. Very scary. The bottom line is we bring in 1.1 million people a year on green cards. We bring in over a million foreign students. We have well over a million other worker visas and things like that. We have never had this degree of immigration for this many years from the third world, again, culturally, fiscally, all the stuff we talk about. We've never, ever had it, had this. That's it. We've never, ever had this. There is no argument. There's nothing. There's nothing to talk about. It's out of control. And then now, keep in mind... Keep in mind, we're on pace between the um, board, the illegals at the border and roughly 500,000 a year who overstay visas. Well, I guess maybe that's a little bit double counting, but you get my drift. That's 1.7, another 1.7 bill, a million for illegal immigrants. And then that doesn't include however number of few hundred thousand that get in and aren't apprehended and just and, and particularly the really bad guys. Remember, David Bossy, who was like a Bannon type of guy, started writing an op-ed. Hey, we really need, we need more, we need more. Here's the deal. Even, even if, you know, forget about your views on legal immigration in general. But the, the, the valid point conservatives need to be making is, how dare you start talking about more and more for expansionism of immigration at a time of record immigration and record problems as a result of it before we shut down. There's one thing if you get rid of all of these categories. What I would do is, see, in some levels, in some ways, someone could find issues with with certain high-skilled high things. But, but the issue is this. 
if you get rid of our entire immigration system, all of the needless visa pork for colleges, all the visa pork for companies, all of, um, you know, obviously the chain migration, diversity visa lottery, all the illegal immigrants, all these phony other parole, TPS, asylum, refugee categories, all this stuff. Our, our immigration system is basically one big, you know, asylum for the third world. That's what it's become. Every, every, um, you know, every, every category has become that way. Then, if you would simply only reinstate that with a criterion of based both on cultural and fiscal, uh, uh, you know, criterion or or uh, conditions, different different ways to assess them to demonstrate that they'll be assimilable, they'll be productive. What we all say we agree to. Language, all that. And again, there's nothing wrong with people you know, from foreign countries not knowing English. There really isn't. I, I, God bless them. I, I don't know other languages. Uh, you know, I, It's very hard to learn. But the reality is, in this day and age, a lot of people do know English in other countries. And you know, so all things equal, it should prioritize that. It just makes sense. But at the end of the day... Right now, we have almost no truly skilled immigration, and the little we have is funneled through this visa pork. So it's gobbled up by Microsoft, and this, and it's just, it's not good. I don't believe in any visa pork. Abolish all of it. You have one immigration system, and it could be a fraction of the numbers today. You reduce the numbers, and that's solely high skilled, and you'll come out ahead. And then it's not a matter of, okay, we're bringing you in for Microsoft. We're bringing you in for this. No, no, no. You come in, you're here to be American. Then, you know, as far as the employment, it's up for grabs. Anyone could, you know, that will, you know, be part of the pool. I'm just saying this for some people, you know, there's a lot of people, even my dad will talk about this. I mean, he's like, you know, throw all the legals out and all this low skills garbage. And and meanwhile, I can't bring over this guy. My, my father's in nuclear engineering and, and he sees this. But that's the issue. But I, I told my father, and he understood it. I said, look, I'm not going to agree to any immigration expansion at this point, even if it genuinely is for legitimately you know, good dudes and high skill, just because we got to reduce the numbers elsewhere. And, and it's one big legislative ideological log rolling where – those people are allied with the low skilled and the legal immigrant, and the you know ethnic front groups, and they all work together for one big expansion. Thing. I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm just not going to do it. The reality is this. I'm going to I'm going to link to in show notes from last year. I did an article juxtaposing the countries where we give the most visas to to um their poverty rate, the use of means tested programs, and their English proficiency based on um, uh, census data. And you look at it, it's just, it's just staggering. It is utterly staggering. Among the top 20 sending countries, only immigrants from India and Far East Asian countries are at or near the average poverty rate of the native population. Immigrants from Canada and the UK are also below below the native rate, as you would expect, but they are way down on the list. They're like close to twenty five in terms of the you know numbers. All Mexico, China, surprisingly, Chinese immigrants, um, you know, very low rates of English proficiency, which makes sense from that part of the world. They don't you know learn it like some others, like India, they do, um, but. You know, 33% use means-tested programs. Now, that's certainly not as bad as the 60% from Mexico or the 70% from Dominican Republic, which, by the way, is the fourth largest sending country. You know, you got Haiti, you got El Salvador, you got, I mean, and then you got all the all the Islamic countries. You know, you know who's near the top, in the top 15 now. Pakistan, Iraq, Bangladesh. You go a little bit further down, you get Yemen. Go a little bit further down that, you get Afghanistan and Egypt. 
that's a whole nother set of problems. It is so broken. I mean, there's a million articles I can give you in addition to my book making the case for why this is the worst wave we've ever had. But, you know, both legal and illegal, but I'll, I'll, I'll put one in show notes so you have it for you. But the broader point is, why not do the promises first? Get rid of birthright citizenship. And again, all of this is predicated. You got to stand up to the courts at some point. We are we literally have this going on at the border and Mr. Fix It. No, 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 no. Inspector Gadget, right? That's what he is. I mean, where's Mr. Fix It on the border? I mean, do that first. Even if you agree to this. Same thing on jailbreak. Before you have the second step act for criminals, could we have the first step for Americans? What about fixing the Johnson court case where all the Crime of violence, all the people prosecuted, convicted under aggravated assault, uh, aggravated felony statute, they're being let go. Even Lindsey Graham has a bill on that. Why not push that? Why not push mens rea reform? Here, here is the, fr- I mean, I'm telling you folks, all the guys on the so-called right promoting jailbreak, criminal justice reform are buck naked exposed in their duplicity. And here's why. Everyone agrees that the front-end impetus for this, the the most universal goal, was the regulatory white-collar BS crimes. The over-criminalization of stuff like that. Now, we all supposedly agree. We're like, look, the ACLU agrees. We agree. Let's get together. We've gone through so much money, time, and effort, and this movement has advanced so far, and there is not an iota of, of thought given to passing Warren Hatch's bill. Guess why? Because the Democrats don't agree to it. Obviously. So there's one thing if, look, you know, we get the overcrim stuff, but then we get the release of the real bad guys. All right, something. No, it's the left wins all the time, only categorically every time. Because we have no movement. Think about that. The next time someone talks to you about it, criminal justice reform. Yeah. So, okay, you got, it was an emergency. We had, I mean, of course, it's, we got, you know, all these um, drug traffickers coming in from the border and uh, the worst drug crisis ever. So it's an emergency to let out the drug traffickers. I I, I understand. We, we had to do that immediately. Okay, fine. But now could we, if you really want criminal justice reform, could, what about the Warren Hatch mens rea bill? Uh, the Democrats don't agree to it. So again, you're basically telling me that the Democrats are the sun and you're the moon. Whatever they say, you will enact even when you're in power. Okay, fine. So we we have a much larger problem here. When I saw that something like cr- crime, which is universal, which pulls well, the being tough on crime, which was one of the few success stories of this generation. That 100% of the conservative movement became to the left of where Democrats were just a few years ago on the issue. I said, dude, we have a major problem here. And this is much bigger than Trump. Trump is just the illustration of it, that even a guy that started out as like, you know, lock him up and, and, and execute them. And literally said it to this very day, even after passing the bill, signing the bill. Goes and, and flips on it. Yeah, I mean, that just shows the power of the left and the malignant, phony conservative movement and the uh, progressive libertarian, and that's what they are. Remember, we get all the liabilities of libertarianism, but none of the advantages. Somehow, all these coke-free marketeers are nowhere to be seen when it comes to pushing back against Jared, which they seem to be very close with, so they should have his ear on, well... If you agree with the Cato Institute on immigration and crime, how about agreeing with the Cato Institute on the phony paid family leave, which they certainly agree with my position on that. What about health care? What about mens rea? Nope. So let's, let, let, let's dispel the notion that this is some resurgence of libertarian nirvana here. No. 
This is progressives winning all the time, every time. Anyway, I want to move on to the issues of the day. Um, gosh, I spent way too much time on that. There's there's so much to say, so little time. I'm going to be on Glenn Beck's show um, this afternoon, so I'm on a tight schedule. And we're going to try to speak the truth about the courts there. We have tons of content out on immigration. About three articles out related to it in some way today, either at the Blazer Conservative Review. Um, just one thing, I just wanted to close the the point, and we're going to link to this as well. Jordan Schachtel, our national security correspondent, he wrote an article on the true foreign influence of Qatar to CNN. How CNN. Employees, as, as well as many other people, are literally on the payroll of the Qatari government. And then they're saying, you know, Trump uh, is influenced by foreigners. Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out that article last night. Now, what's so special? Not, oh, wow, Trump, the Trumps took notice of conservative review. Well, th- the point is this. We haven't been shy and we haven't minced words about going after this administration, including his own family, Jared Kushner. In fact, <laughs> I've savaged him pretty thoroughly. I wrote the article on Jared, straight up, going after him. Jordan also went after the administration, criticized a lot of their appointments, Tillerson and the stuff he was doing back in the day, Mattis. And yet, they still clearly respected it enough to put it out. Notice he didn't get that tweet by licking rear ends. See, everyone else feels they need to lick rear ends. So you know what? Sometimes you could have your cake and eat it too. I'm just saying. That is the way to get influence with the White House, the manly way, the traditional way. You speak the truth, you be smart about it, consistent about it, and it's not personal. It's for the country, and that's it. So I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, speaking of having your cake and eat it too, I have an article out today that I think is very timely <clears throat> for the news. And I, gosh, I, I have to do triage here. Just again, please, please go to Conservative Re- Review, look at everything there. But I'll, but you know, or you could just Google Daniel Harwood's Conservative Review. You'll easily easily find my name, and you just click on the name, and then the chronological order of the articles will come up and you just just look at all of them. There's a lot there, a lot to prove, a lot of points. Each one is very important. I just don't have time to get to all of it, but one of them is we can keep the ports open to commerce, secure our borders, and eat our avocados too. I just want to make very clear, both legally and politically, what we're talking about here. I don't know what the administration has in mind I know they are contemplating what I'm saying, and I don't know if the nuance is lost on them or it's lost on the media, but there is a very big difference between shutting down the border for commerce and suspending all immigration requests at our border. It is the latter that needs to be done. The former has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't need to be done. To be clear, the president does have that authority if he wanted to, Um, and I'm glad the media finally recognizes it. But um, you don't need to worry about losing your avocados. Now, the last time I checked, we had like 3,000 avocado growers in California. But, you know, boy, oh boy, you know, we could have migrants flooding us with diseases, easily $150 billion a year in taxpayer funding to support them. And that's very, very conservative. And that was under the flow of last month, not under this flow. Um, the worst of the worst human beings literally flooding in in the frontier, criminal aliens that were deported, rapists, Robert, do- doesn't matter. Transnational gangs, the MS-13, the drugs, the school, n- n- nothing. I want my avocados. All right, fine. You can get your avocados. I want to make very clear, so a lot of you want to know, like, what should he do? What should we be pushing for? Um The statute that we're talking about, 1182F, 8 U.S.C. Code, or 212F of the INA, we we said this yesterday, but again, it's 
talking about suspending any class of aliens or all aliens, immigrant visas or non-immigrant. So there is no reason why he can't just simply, you know, you keep the points of entry open. So you get inspected when you come there. So you have to have papers, okay? So by definition, if you have papers, you're good to go. Now, there are there is fraud sometimes and whatever, but that I mean, nothing will change in that. You have a border crossing pass. You're still, whatever labor or travel or transportation comes in, that's going to keep going. The Central American rush for the border, this is where we say we shut off asylum. I've been saying this 50 million times in 50 million ways in different articles. I try to spell it out as clearly and in as plain English as possible in this article, why incontrovertibly the president has this authority. And John Roberts was very clear about that himself, although he's very political, so he won't expeditiously overturn the lower courts now. But Trump needs to just assert it. And what that looks like practically means that, well, they're going to come, but it doesn't matter. You can't come. You cannot enter our country without our permission. And if you do, if it's not at a point of entry or a gate or an area where we have a wall, you just don't let them in. Well, what do you mean? There's nothing stopping them. They just come in. You push them back. You bring them back. You return them to Mexico. I find it amazing the president's like, you know, Mexico, you better stop this. Well, I, I agree, but what, he could? Mexico could stop it, but we can't? Mexico could return them to Guatemala. They'll be like, Daniel, what do you mean? You're going to have Border Patrol or, or troops um, stepping on Mexican soil to put them there? Uh, well, you're asking Mexico to put his troops on Guatemalan soil by definition. So, I mean, like, <laughs> what, what, we're not, how dare we violate Mexico's sovereignty? <laughs> oh, yeah, gee. You just get them out of here. Or, Concurrent or alternatively, what you do is you say, we are not accepting asylum claims. No credible fear interviews. The president can shut that down. There's a process for which we can do it if all things are equal. And we're not following that process as we spoke about yesterday. We have articles on that out today too. But then there's a a circuit breaker overriding that, that whenever the president determines that any and all classes of aliens, whether immigrant, non-immigrant, their entry into the country would be detrimental to our interest. He could just shut it down. That needs to be done. And what you do, all in terms of physically pushing people back, it, it it's going to be a few days worth of doing it. Once you actually land it and nail it, meaning make it stick, they won't come anymore. And alternatively, the other thing is, if it's like literally like logistically, like I can't, we don't have enough people to hand push them back or bring them, whatever it is, or you know, you don't want to get the military involved, which we really should. The other thing is, that is where the tent cities come in. We say we offer them a choice. We announce, right now we announce, come in, please. Hey, hey, you know, here's your papers. Here, here's your bus ticket. Here, we'll pay for it. Go. No, we're closed. We are closing the bed and breakfast. Now, Here's your choice. You could re- return right now, or if you're going to remain on our story, we will not deny en- you, we will not allow you entry, and we will put you in ten cities. Now we're not we're not holding you. We're not even trying to prosecute you and treat you like invaders that you should be treated. Like. You go home at any point. You can voluntarily return. We will just make sure that you're not slipping into our country. Voluntarily go back. That is your choice. Tent City and um, you know that way with the Tent City you'll just be there indefinitely until we can get the logistics to fly you back through airports to um, Central America. Or if you don't want to be holed up in in a Tent City then walk right back through Mexico. We are done. 
either we're a sovereign nation or not. There's nothing more. I don't have anything else for you. Look, I have about a dozen other smaller ideas that address different pieces of this. Starting to deport people with final deportation orders is a signal to them. You know, again, putting the military, we need the military on the border for a number of reasons. Deputizing more people to hold the line. But it's all got to be with the understanding that this is an invasion. We're stopping it. We don't. I, I, I don't I don't know what to say. We, we don't have to let people in. And if they get on our soil, that doesn't make them entitled to anything. And even if there is a statute that kind of would, this statute overrides it. You cannot enter. We're closed for business. Done. The asylum process is shut down anyway. They're not even using it. That is it. There is no shortcut around this. It is better policy. It is better politics. That is it. It's done. There's nothing more to talk about at all. At some point, you have to be able to stand by your arguments and believe in them. And at some point, you know, whereas a year ago when I was calling for this, it was too subtle maybe. Now the press releases write themselves. Okay? It's the worst in the Border Patrol history. It is touching every facet of any deleterious effect you could ever imagine. That is the story. Very simple. And the reality is, look, I to be clear, I do think there is utility to Trump in some ways, in some ways, going ahead and threatening to shut down the points of entry. And I think logistically, some days for a day or two, he might have to do that. Because sometimes it does get in the way and we have to harness our agents to hold the line. If he wants to leverage Mexico or Congress. But again, I'm not really sure what we want to write in Congress. All things equal, if we had good guys in Congress, I would reiterate it, make Democrats take tough votes. It's for messaging. But practically, you could not write a statute more emphatic than 212F to stop this situation in the short run. And by the way, there is no time limit. John Roberts said that very clearly in Trump v. Hawaii. There is no time limit on it. The understanding would be is that it wouldn't be permanent, but there's no gestatable claim on that, and that's that's a political issue. So um, to be clear, that is it. That is it. He doesn't want – I wouldn't – again, he's got to make that distinction clear to the public. That, look, there are times it will be appropriate, but I'm, what I'm fundamentally talking about is simply you cannot take advantage of those. We are stopping we, – we could stop immigrant and non-immigrant, but we're not going to stop the non-immigrant travel. You cannot apply for immigration status at our, at our land border. Points of entry or, or between points of entry. It's got to be – It's got to be very simple. You can only apply at your embassy or outside of our country. It's literally in statute, and John Roberts said that. He could shut off land border and airports. Only land border, not airports. Only this port, not that port. Only here, only in right? So a lot of people are saying there's nothing to shut down between points of entry. How do you shut it down? You can shut down a point of entry. You can't shut down. So again, first of all, where there is an existing fence, that means that you don't freaking go and get them behind the fence. Okay. And if um, if there is none, look, you, you got to stand up for it. I, I explained it in plain English. 
you deny entry. Somehow getting on our soil between a point of entry doesn't make your case stronger. Right? I mean, like, if someone was waiting in the pedestrian lane at a point of entry, San Ysidro in, you know, near San Diego, and they suddenly start running and, and like, you know, somehow get in past the gate and run in. Right? We're, we're going to send you back. You're going to say we can't send you. So the fact that you came in between a point of entry doesn't, doesn't make a difference. Now, for the long run... You could say, you know, you don't want to operate on 212F indefinitely. You want a certain system for legitimate asylees or whatever. But again, I mean, I don't know what you want Congress to write. I, I could write it a little better, like I said before, in terms of if you have a Democrat president in the future, he could use some loopholes to kind of get do, do catch and release. But the other way to mandate it, I, I mean, that, that the president doesn't have to use the discretionary relief I, look, if you're going to countenance that, there, there's no statute in the world that's going to prevent the courts from not doing what they're doing because it's not about statutory interpretation. It's about civil disobedience against our laws and the fact that we have crowned them as king, so they'll take that prerogative. I mean, look, if you tell me, Daniel Horowitz, once I put a robe on you, anything you ever wanted to do policy-wise, your wish is our command. Well, I do it. I mean, I believe in our country, and I heck, I do it. I can't blame the liberal lawyers. It's it's no longer their fault. It's our fault. When I say us, I mean all of us collectively for letting this go on. No shortcut around the courts. That's for sure. So I want to make that very clear distinction between the points of entry. I'm sorry, between shutting down, you know, at the points of entry, the commerce and the non-immigrant border passes versus shutting off initial applications for immigration. You cannot apply. You cannot apply. Done. You're out. We're going to do everything we can to physically push you out. If it's kind of logistically problematic, then, you know, we're not, we're not holding you, but either tent city or you got to leave. You can voluntarily depart at any time, but we will not let you in past that gate. And the and the tent city is our version of the gate here. That's what needs to happen. So that's what that. There's a whole nother case, whole nother article I really wanted to get to. I don't know if I'm going to have time to, but I want to end on this note today. I think is really, really, really important. There was a story last night that um, a conservative upset the um, liberal in a race for state Supreme Court in Wisconsin. So um, I'm trying to get what the names are, and I'm, I apologize. I don't have it in front of me. I totally forgot. But Nabauer was the Democrat, and this guy... Hagedorn um, was a uh, con- conservative. They don't officially have R and D labels, but it's it's known to everyone. You know the coalitions that support each one. It's very partisan. And uh, Nabauer was supposed to win the the liberal uh, easily, easily outspent the other one like you know endless. And um, uh, Hagedorn wound up pulling out a shocking victory. Now, look, you know. Everyone wants good news. I think I think this is this is definitely, you know, good news. Um for one, it's important if you remember that at the beginning of last year or the beginning of 2017, really right after Trump won, a couple months later, you know, his numbers dropped and the floor fell out from Republicans. More or less their loss in 2018 was predicted a long time ago by all these lower, you know, off-season races, state legislative races, they were it, it was very clear you saw where they were losing, why they were losing. It coincided with the polling, different polling questions. It really painted the picture very early on and you know, our side was in denial the entire time, but you know, we we called that here. We knew it was it was obvious. 
The good news is this is this along with not all, but there are a number of state legislative races that Republicans had turned over in Connecticut, some other places that looks like the trajectory is headed back because as we predicted, the Democrats now share a lot of the blame and no one likes Pelosi. And, you know, I think uh, Trump's numbers are going to go up and there's opportunity there. So that's that's the good news. Now, we've got to do something with it, but that's good news. Also connected to that, Wisconsin is a very critical state, you know, with basically turning potentially Texas and Arizona, at least, that we're going to have to spend resources there, and Democrats are going to somewhat try to make a play. We have to expand the map the other way. So we certainly need Wisconsin in play, and I think this is really a really good sign in a state like Wisconsin. Really good sign, a very, you know... I think, again, if we actually had a Republican Party that would take this to heart, there's what to do with it. But I want to end with with this. There's something more fundamental. Notice the races in Wisconsin for Supreme Court are always very contentious. And just, just first off, I forgot the important detail. I'm sorry about this. So going headed into this, Dem- the, the left had a four to three majority. And, you know, this could have gone the other way, but but now that the conservative won, they now have a five to two majority. So that means that no matter what, they automatically hold the majority at least till 2023. This is kind of a staggering every few years. It's a staggering rotation of each seat being up for election. Different states have different versions. But the point is that almost every single state has some version of elections. And a lot of people, like, you know, the legal profession, like, Daniel, you're a fascist. You're going to strip the federal courts of power and you don't want to, and, and, and this and that. And we're a very litigious society. We love our litigation. Where are all these cases going to go? And I said, very simple. It doesn't mean you don't have an option, even for your frivolous garbage lawsuits, even your political lawsuits that frankly shouldn't be brought in any court, aren't political in any nature. But the point I made is that at least it will be in the states. Let the state judiciaries handle all this. So at least they're elected. And if you're going to look, there's really it's stupid to have redundancy politics in the legislature and then politics in the courts. But if you're going to do that, at least have it in the state courts where you're elected. And it will really be a, a grassroots, it, it will really spawn localism and grassroots um, organizing for both sides. It will be good for the country. It will make state judicial elections great again. Because the problem right now is. Ultimately, even when they decide big things, ultimately the feds have the final say. So if one side doesn't lie, they go there. But if they were the final say on this stuff, you know, this is where you're going to have the self-sorting. California judges are going to, you know, totally do their thing. And it's going to be a hellhole. But at least judges in states where we could win, then we could hope to maintain our, our civilization there. The problem now is it's a one-way ratchet. Heads we win, tails we win. How so? Guess what? If a lower, if, if a, um, just like with the lower federal courts, if a state court rules in a bad way, that's somehow the law of the land. So, you know, in Pennsylvania, the state courts screwed us and we lost three districts there. All right, fine. But then at least in North Carolina, where they upheld the Republican map, that should be final. No. Then they go to the Fourth Circuit and appeal it, and they strike that down too. We get the lowest common denominator. So at least we'll allow red states to be red. Right now, every state's a blue state. Not just because of the political problems, but also because because of the federal courts. At any moment, Arkansas, Kentucky, they want um, work requirements for Medicaid. No, can't do that. But if that has to go to state court, then elections will hinge on that. And also, it limits the damage. So it's like, all right, a horse and a donkey is a marriage. Uh, you know, this is defined as a woman. You know, so it's not, at least it's not the whole country. And we could push back and we could have competition between the states. It makes so much sense. This is the type of vision we need to be given, not because it's a nerdy intellectual legal exercise. But because this is the linchpin to our republic. 
Nothing we talk about matters until this is solved. And this is actually a very easy to give over solution. He doesn't exactly call for this. And to be honest, I haven't read the book, but the title from um, Sixth Circuit Court Judge uh, Sutton, is Johnny Sutton his first? I'm forgetting his first name. 51 Imperfect Solutions to Our Constitution. So it's the 50 states plus the feds. And that's the thing. You know, make the state courts great again. That, folks, is the way we solve this. But the bottom line is we need a vision. The bottom line is we need to think beyond Trump or not Trump. We need to build a movement right now for what's going on under Trump, and we need it for after Trump. We need it on this issue, and we need it on that issue. We need it on every issue. Because unless we do that, you understand the laws of motion and gravity. And I will tell you, the political laws of motion and gravity are even more irrevocable. Thank you for all thank you all for listening. God bless y'all. This has been another episode of the Conservative Conscience.